welcome to PS, the Puget Sound podcast where we're talking to members of our campus community about their Puget Sound experiences. I'm Elena Becker, and my guest today is Coach Jeff Thomas, the head coach of Puget Sound's football program. Today, as always, the Puget Sound podcast was recorded and produced by Moonyard Studio right here in Tacoma, Washington. Here's Jeff. Coach Thomas, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I'm fired up to have you here. I want to start, before we get into football at Puget Sound, even before we get into you as a coach, with you as an athlete and as a football player yourself. So how that's... A bygone bygone era. (laughs) How did football come into your life? Um, I I grew up in a um, very sport-centric family. I think that we were just active in a lot of things. I didn't play football or competitive football until junior high. And, and I grew up in Tucson, Arizona. Um, and there they had junior high football tackle from sixth grade on. And I went to a school district where it was the same program. So same one junior high, one high school. And so I started playing football then, but I was involved in basketball and baseball year round. So it was one of many things that I did as a kid. And how did you get started with football? Was that something that you just sort of always had in your mind? Like as soon as I go to junior high, I can be on the football team. Yeah. Football has always been something that, you know, anytime I could get to the park as a kid, you know, during that time period, you just went to the park and you found a bunch of, you know, people would just randomly show up and you'd play a, you know, a touch football game. Um, It was something that I've always enjoyed doing. I I always like throwing the football around I have a seven-year-old daughter that we play catch occasionally now too, starting to get her going in that. Um, growing up, my family, every weekend, we would be at the University of Arizona watching either a baseball or softball game, or my parents had season tickets to the basketball games as well as to the football games. And for home football games, we would get there at noon for a seven o'clock game. So for, you know, seven hours as an you know, eight-year-old or a 10-year-old, we would go and, you know, play on the, on the, the lawn there and play, play touch football. So I, I, it's, it's been in my blood for a long time. And were the Arizona teams, if that's what you grew up going to look at, like your teams, that's who you wanted to be like, that's the team that you were rooting for? Yeah, so I think there was like a two-week span. I've always uh, been um, a little bit of a contrarian, so I think there was a two-week span where I cheered for Arizona State, and I think I got disowned by my family at seven. <laughs> you know, I, there, was some, there was some time period where I did that, but you, if you are a Thomas, you are a UVA fan I'm through and through. And do you have a player that sticks out to you from your childhood as like, that's the player you wanted to be like, that's the person when you went and played a pickup game in the park that you were pretending to be on the field? You know, it was, it was one of those deals where I was a, always a U of A fan, but I was such a bandwagon who my favorite player was, whoever the best player was that year. Like yeah. I'd, I acted like I'd always been his number one fan. Um, <laughs> so that kind of rotated as the years went on. It, it, it changed. Um, during that, during my childhood, Arizona was known for defense. So quite frankly, a lot of the, I want to be like, were all the, the great defensive players that, that went through the, the ranks there. And did you start playing in defense when you played in junior high or in junior high, do you play both sides of the line? Maybe. Yeah, you play, you play both ways. Um, and I, I went to a small enough high school that you, you kind of did that all the way through. But, um, the truth is I never saw the field on defense throughout high school, uh, junior high and high school. I, I only played quarterback, um, uh, maybe because I was valuable. I highly doubt that was the reason. I think it was because the other players on the other side of the ball were that much uh, more advanced than me. Um, so it was, it's unique that when I got to college, I ended up being on, on the defense side of the ball and then had some success there. But 
offensively, that's always what I've been on the side of. And you'd always been a quarterback on offense. Always a quarterback. How'd that happen? Is, did you seek that out or are you just, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I, um, I went to the same, I'm, my family is very much a Tucson centered family. So I went to the same high school as my parents, my aunts and uncles, my cousins, like the vast majority of my family went to the same high school and junior high. And so a lot of them knew my older sister. And then some of them even either went to school or knew my, my parents from when they went there. Um, so they knew who I was. And so from youth camps and, and all of that in junior high, I, I had the opportunity to play some quarterback. And then once you're kind of in a spot in, in a one junior high, one high school town, you kind of, you know, you stay in that same rhythm throughout. Um, I happen to be able to throw the ball pretty good, I think. And, um, you know, we, we were able to build from there. And when you decided you were going to play in college, did you then go into that process thinking, well, I'm a quarterback and that's what I'm looking to do? Yeah, they, uh, I tore my ACL um, uh, homecoming of my senior year of high school. So I, I didn't oh. I didn't really – I was not a I'm going to college to play sports or bust player going into my senior year of high school. I, I thoroughly enjoyed my high school experience. I got to play, you know, three sports. But then losing my senior year with that injury, um, you know, it, it – it just threw a wrench in um, the thought process. So when the opportunity presented itself to go to college um, and play a sport um, with good financial aid, I, I, I jumped at it and, and the only film I had was a quarterback and I felt like I could be a good quarterback at the college level. And then how did the recruiting and college search process go for you? Did you know D3? Was that sort of front uh, of mind? Uh, during the early part, I was looking possibly, you know, that Ivy league high academic D three. And, you know, once you, I tore my ACL, so any of those absolute outside shot possibilities definitely went away. Um, and the university of Redlands kept calling and, um, they knew that I could re- rehab and, you know, I don't know how many other quarterbacks they were recruiting at the time. And I just knew that if I had an opportunity, I would take it and do well. And when you got to Redlands, you're on the football team intending to be a quarterback. Mm-hmm. And then I took the liberty of reading through some of the records at Redlands. So I'm aware that you did not play quarterback, or at least you did not play quarterback very long. Correct. I I came in and redshirted and rehabbed that knee for an entire year. Um, and then the next year, so my academic sophomore year, I started at, at a as a corner and had a very good season but I always wanted to be a quarterback and I got moved to corner just because there were so many other quarterbacks ahead of me that they just wanted to find a place to put me. Um, but my junior year, I started at quarterback and I played four games and then I tore the other ACL. Um, and then one of my best friends was the backup quarterback and came in and it's like a fish story. He threw for like 5,000 yards the next game. Like our offense really clicked. As soon as I was out of the way, our offense really started going. Um, so for the for the last two years of college after that, my fourth year, and then I came back for um, uh, to finish up a couple classes. My fifth year, um, I played corner and had a really good good experience there. And as someone who has never played football, it's not intuitive to me about what, are there transferable skills from quarterback to the backfield. And my I think one would think maybe no, right? Offense versus defense. But I'm wondering too if you've been the person setting up plays and looking for the open pass, does that then translate to defending the pass really well in terms of how you see the field from the other side? 
I think it does. I think that there's um, patterns that develop in, in, especially in the passing attack that um, on offense that you're looking for specific triangles, so to speak, uh, you know, to where, where to throw the ball. And if you have that knowledge on the other side of the ball, it certainly helps your understanding of what the offense is trying to do to you. From a physical skill standpoint, I think basketball is the easiest transferable to the defensive backfield. And I think that's where I was able to um, move quickly to being a good defensive player or a, a productive defensive player was that I had had years of playing basketball. Um, so understanding zone coverage and, and, you know, how to defend and how to compete and how to fight through contact. I thought a lot of that came from the basketball background. That's such so interesting to hear you say that because I think of football as a more contact heavy sport than basketball just by definition. But now that you've said that, that's less the case if you're a quarterback. 100%. I, 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 I didn't need to wash my jersey during during practice, <laughs> except for the, you know, it was 100 degrees outside so you sweat. But you're never touched as a quarterback in, in, in football, ever, if, if they do it right. Again, I said I looked through some of the records at Redlands. You picked up a lot of accolades. And knowing that you did not play corner all four years, these statistics are even more um, impressive. You're the all-time leader for single-season interceptions at Redlands with 13 picks in the 2002 season. You're fourth for single-season return yards on interception, also in that 2002 season, all-time. That same team went to the NCAA playoffs. That same year, you earned yourself a spot on the U.S. team in the Aztec Bowl, and you were also named to D3Football.com All-American in 2002. So I would think anybody looking at those stats comes away with the conclusion, this guy knows how to play some football. Did you think that about yourself? Did you know you were good? (laughs) Uh, I think I was productive. I I think that – so – if a receiver has a hundred catches in a year, you know, that receiver is really good, right? He got open a hundred times, um, whether it was scheme or individual talent, but either way he had to do so much to make that catch a hundred different times. So like that's a number that just, you know, if a receiver does that as a defensive player, it is almost counterintuitive that I was leading the country in interceptions and each week the other team's offense wanted to attack me because they perceived me to be the weak link. Um, in other words, you can only get an interception if they're throwing at the guy you're covering. Exactly. So there was enough that I was doing wrong that each week coaches were like, we really need to attack that Jeff Thomas guy and not the other side of the field, you know? So I, I got extremely fortunate to play with a bunch of really good players and, you know, the, some opposing coaches thought that I was the weak link, which I appreciate. Well, and I imagine that in and of itself, I mean, a lot of athletes perceive that kind of thing differently, but for a lot of athletes, knowing that somebody wants to come at you is a real motivator, right? Come and try me, right? Yep. See if you can do it. Exactly. Right. I, I, I uh, that, that was something that I really uh, loved about being on the defense side of the ball rather than um, being a quarterback. Cause as a quarterback, your job, is legitimately to have the ball the least amount of time possible. Your job is to get the ball to the better athletes and let them go do what they do and, and be a, you know, kind of a, a cog in the machine, so to speak. As a defensive player, you certainly have to be a part of a team pursuit and you need to, you know, there's a bunch of selfless things that you need to do, but at some point it becomes down to a one-on-one battle. Are you going to let the receiver block you? Are you going to, you know, make the interception, you know, whatever those um, individual aspects and skills are. 
Um, so I really enjoyed the defensive individual challenge. And I, I uh, to this day, um, uh, get chuckles with former college teammates that, you know, that joke that they were so much better than me. That's why I had that many opportunities for the best. <laughs> well, and football is fairly unique. I mean, any team sport, well, not any team sport, many team sports, there are a lot of individual opportunities on the field, right? You can make your play or you can make your pass. But in football, I think it's oftentimes a lot starker because of the nature of a play in football, right? That it's not continuous. And you do, it's really interesting. It's really interesting as a sport that's clearly a team sport, requires a lot of people, requires a lot of coordination. Everybody's got to do their job, even the people that the casual observer doesn't notice, right? But everybody's got to do their job. And individually, you all got to be working right to make it happen. Exactly right. I I think that that's one of the um, very unique aspects of football is that unless you are the parent or super friend of the right guard on the football team, you have no idea what that person does. And they might be an All-American or terrible. And you you will think about whether they had a good or bad game purely based on the score. And that doesn't really happen in in some other sports where a baseball player might go three for four and they lose by seven, but they might, you know, perception be that they had a good game. And um, that does, that just doesn't exist in football and probably why I gravitated towards it as I got older. As a student athlete who then went on to coach in your sport, I think it's easy to look at that on paper and say, well, this is a dude who's all about football all the time. And that was why he went to college and the most important part of his time at college, especially because you were on teams that really had a lot of success. Mm-hmm. When you think about your experience at college and at Redlands, does football stand out as the most important part or the only thing that was meaningful to you? No, not, not even close. I think that football, I can't pretend to speak to what it being a college athlete of other sports um, entails. I mean, I can give the top level answer, but I, I, I won't pretend to know what, what it go, the ins and outs of a different sport is. Um, but being a successful division three football program or individual football has to be important to you. But if it's the only thing that's important to you, those are the students that usually are retention risks. So we, at the Puget Sound side, we try our best to, to weed those students out because if it's the only thing that you're into, you're not going to enjoy your college experience. For me, I went to the University of Redlands because I was I was 100% certain I was going to be a lawyer. 100% certain. There was no doubt in my mind. Um, I worked as, uh, my work-study job was in the football office. I, I learned the what football coaches actually do the other 12 to 14 hours that they're in the office during the day when they're not at the practice field or, or game field. And I love that process and, and grew to uh, want to be part of that. But my sole ambition when I, when I chose the school was not the football program. It was, it was to set myself up for law school and, and those type of um, opportunities. That's something that we talk a lot about at the D3 level is that not only should you be involved in other things you can be, And that's, I think, oftentimes a distinct difference from the way that the general public perceives college sports, which is oftentimes really inflected by the sort of D1 archetypes, right? Of you're a a running back majoring in general studies and you're going to go on and be a professional football player and that'll be the arc of your life and your career. That tends to be less the case at D3. You can diversify a little more. There's more space for it. No question. I think that that's a really good term. There's more space for it. You know, I think that you can um, 
fill that space inside of a, a sports program if you get involved in the other parts. Um, for us, we did two community service projects a semester ran by students. So would you consider it football if a student spent 20 hours a week getting ready for Relay for Life with the team? That is part of the football program, but truthfully, it's Relay for Life. Um, so I, I, I am always um, amazed at the creativity our players have of how they get involved and get their other teammates involved in the activities that are important to them and using the conduit of football to kind of voluntold people into their same uh, spheres of influence. Given that you wanted to be an attorney, did you, when you graduated, was that still the plan? So um, as they went through college, I uh, started to drift in, I still wanted to be an attorney, but it was not, I have to do this. Like my only um, measurement of success is not whether I get my bar, uh, you know, or not. Uh, so I took the LSAT, but by that point in my junior year, I took the L or senior year, I took the LSAT on a game day, you know? So like I had clearly my priorities had started to move um, where law school would factor in. Um, but so when I graduated, I needed to take a gap year to figure out exactly what I wanted to do. Cause I didn't want to be one of those students that took out a bunch of grad school loans. I had had a really good undergrad financial aid package and I didn't want to loan up and, and take on debt until I knew exactly what I want to do. So I took a gap year and worked as pretty much a volunteer in the football program to see, you know, what that's really like, or do I go to law school in a year after I kind of save and make sure it's for me. And, you know, I'm 20 years in still doing this or 18 years in doing this. And the football program at Redlands. At, at Redlands. Yep. Yeah. Was how did your perspective on that program change going from being a player to being a coach or a volunteer? Oh, no, a really good question. I, I went from being the you know the team captain with the accolades you covered um, to the person that made sure that the coffee was ready at five thirty in the morning, and you know the all of the grunt work. It, it's not from hazing or anything. It's just there is a there is a pecking order at, at some level, and, and tasks need to be done often invisible from the people above you. And you need to do it to the best of your ability if you ever want to move up in any profession, certainly in a sport um, like football that has a hierarchy kind of built in. Um, and I loved it. I loved every second of it. Um, and so a GA job opened up the next spring and I took it and got my master's paid for that way. You know, that's one thing that I think about a lot about sports just in general, athletics in general. So as regular listeners of the podcast know, I've mentioned before, but I've been an athlete my entire life. I played varsity lacrosse at Puget Sound for four years. I'm very much of the school of rub some dirt on it. Right? Right, right. It reflects a lot of my, my views on life. Um, and I struggle to explain to people who have just never intersected with athletics in that way what the values are that every serious athlete has because they're consistent. And as you say, one of those big consistent values that I've observed in every athlete I know from every sport is that you got to put in your time, right? If you think you're going to be good, you got to get up and go practice or go to the weight room. And you also got to realize when somebody is better than you. And as you say, not because it's mean or a preference thing, but where your spot is in that hierarchy, there are going to be years where your contributions carrying the goals on and off the field for practice. <laughs> right. And, and that's not actually less important than scoring the buzzer beater. Uh, I wholeheartedly agree. I, I think that um, we have a senior on our team this year. His name is Zach Meyer, and I love embarrassing him because he's awesome. Um, 
his freshman year after we played at Laverne, and it was, you know, first week of September in Laverne, which is um, east of Los Angeles County. It's, you know, if it was 90, it was 100. You know, it was it was a super hot day. We played a one o'clock game. Um, as I recall, we lost the game late, you know, one of those just frustrating days. And this is a, a player that's only had one week of class, um, made the travel trip, which is, you know, we take 52. Um, and he he must have carried 30 players' bags after the game, not because anybody told him to, but because literally he had not, I don't think he got on the field, or if he did, maybe it was one or two snaps. And so he legitimately had probably energy that no, no one else did. I'm convinced that he showed more, he had more influence on the program at that moment than he does now, which is a two-time starter, you know, all-conference caliber player, probably going to be a team captain caliber player. Um, but his true influence and leadership was stronger at that moment because every player was like, oh my God, thank you. You know, the, the, the empathy that he showed. Those are the type of things that I think that you learn in sports that every one of those players that got their bag carried by Zach that day will still remember that for forever. And so they're going to be in scenarios where they have learned a shared experience that hopefully they can, you know, the cliche pass it forward. But I think those leadership lessons are a little bit harder to do if you're not put in a position of adversity. And, and sports certainly causes adversity, negative and positive at times. Hey there, I'm Brittany Jackson, Assistant Director of Admission and Multicultural Admission Coordinator. I also work with all of our applicants from the city of Tacoma, and I'm checking in to make sure you know all about the Tacoma Public Schools commitment, a full need financial aid package available to most graduates of the Tacoma Public Schools. There is an application process, so hop onto our website at pugetsound.edu TPS to find out more. But for now, back to the show. After you are at Redlands and you're coaching and you're starting to see what it means to do that and starting to experience athletics in that way, what brings you to head coaching period and then to the head coach position at Puget Sound? I had a great mentor at the University of Redlands. He's still there, Mike Maynard, uh, Coach Maynard for me. Uh, he's phenomenal. Uh, um, so there was never a, uh, a need to escape. You know, I, I hear so often uh, coaches that just have to get out of their organization or I hear employees, um, former players of mine talking about in businesses, they don't like where they were at and they just have to get out. And, and that's great for them. I never had that urgency. Um, I, I wanted to be a head coach someday. I, I think that I, I, I feel like I can do two things really well. I feel like I organize extremely well and I influence people positively in their own way. So I feel like I can meet people where they're, they're at. Um, so at some point I wanted to be a head coach, but there was never uh, I need to do it in two years or like, you know, the cliche three-year plan. That never existed for me as far as professional growth up. But I had worked by the time I was 29 to be in the um, offensive coordinator, recruiting coordinator there. And there were opportunities that were starting to occur for me. And when the University of Puget Sound job opened up, um, Craig Bennett is our head athletic trainer. He and I had worked together for a year at Redlands. And so my, what I was looking for in a job was I wanted to work with really high academic students that also expected to win. You know, I think that at Division Three sometimes the really high academic programs, 
there's almost this intramural feel to the football program where if we win or lose, either way, we're going to get a good job when we graduate. And there's nothing wrong with that if that's what you're interested in, but that's not for me. I, I expect students that if you choose a, a rigorous academic program, why would you not want the same rigor applied to your athletic or social endeavors? Also, um, it's not fun to lose. It's just not. There's not. There's nothing fun about losing. I, I uh, at my house we we compete in cards almost every night or board game or whatever, and I, I am instilling winning and winning in the right way. But com- competing to win is something that that is a skill ethically that that should be taught so that you can understand there is a right way to do things and winning by the way is fun um so the university of puget sound job opened um i had not really done a full resume since i was in college just because the 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 movement up i had was with my mentor and it was over a cup of coffee and i think i can do this job and he gave me the opportunity and i was able to do it so long story or long answer to a short question puget sound opened and it's exactly what i was looking for it had an amazing student body and had the facilities that I knew we could, we could grow to be what a conference championship caliber program can be. And it's on the West coast. So it's a direct flight for, you know, I'm a close family guy. Everybody can still, you know, get here. It's not seven, you know, connecting flights to get home. Well, and I was going to ask too, actually about that transition from Arizona and then from Southern California up to Washington. A lot of our students make a similar trip or coming from other states and outside of the Pacific Northwest. So yep. both practically, but also just sort of emotionally, psychologically, different part of the country. I get a lot of questions about the rain and the weather, especially yep. I think for athletes who are used to playing outdoor sports in places where there's not a lot of rain. Mm-hmm. Did, that, did you even notice that change at all? Did you feel that when you moved up here? You, you know, I, I it's funny you ask that because when you if you're from Arizona and people say it rains a lot, you picture flash flooding, you know, you picture, you picture monsoons, you picture in August where it will go from 110 to 70 back to 110 with humidity in the same day because of the monsoon coming in and putting an inch and a half, two inches on the ground. So no, I, the rain has never impacted me. And obviously I don't coach baseball or, or sport that, that rain could impact more substantively. But what I, what the one change that I noticed is it is cloudy here. And I know that's weird to say, but like if you're used to, it's either sunny or sunny except for 10 minutes, seeing clouds in the sky a lot of the time during the fall through fall and spring um, through a little, a little uh, wrinkle in it, but not, not anything terrible, but the, the rain has never impacted me once here. And when you get up here and you're in the head coach job and sort of looking around thinking, okay, I'm in the chair. What are sort of the first things you notice you think that you do as that head coach when you're looking around at this program and thinking, I'm going to make this my program. I'm going to make it a winning high caliber championship program. What are your priorities to do that? Well, first I had to get to know the players, right? So all the, the, uh, um, the leadership side of things, I needed to, to learn who the stakeholders were and where they were at. Um, and that took some time, but the, the biggest change I had to make was being the smartest assistant in the room to the head coach that actually had to pull the trigger. Uh, th- those are entirely different um, dynamics where you can have great ideas, but if you don't actually have the authority to make the decision, it gives you a freedom to just throw things on the wall. But if you're the guy that the person that actually has to make that decision, um, it, it is, uh, 
interesting to have to, to make that decision. And so those first couple of years, um, I had to narrow my leadership pendulum going from over the top idea to overly conservative. I had to really find my own voice, not the voice of being a former assistant and not the voice of what had come before here, but legitimately what the best path forward for us was. And there was a whole bunch of failing on my part to figure out exactly what my head coach voice should be and can be. But interestingly, when you say there's a lot of failing in that, that's another thing that I think athletes are really good at. We're talking about winning. If you've played a lifetime of sports, you have also learned how to lose and you've learned how to get up after a loss that really is hard, right? And there's a couple different types of hard. There's a close game and a heartbreaker at the end. And there's somebody else was just better than me. And I got blown out Right. and figured out how to get up and go to work again the next day without it being sort of a crushing self-esteem. That's another place where I think athletes can handle a little more. Hey, I'm going to try this. And I saw it didn't go the way that I I thought maybe it would, and I'm going to take another run at it. Exactly right. I think that's extremely well said that, uh, you know, those first, you know, four years, we went three and 33 when I was here, which was more losses than I'd had at a decade at Redlands. So I needed to really um, understand what my core values were as a person and then how I was espousing them into the organization, making sure that it matched most, most importantly, the University of Puget Sound's mission as well, but making sure that we were making incremental improvements in our recruitment and in our retention so that we would have in place a pipeline long-term to continue to move up the, the success in the conference standings. I don't measure success only by conference, you know, winning a conference title or moving up the conference standings, but certainly I coach a sport. I expect to win. And so, you know, seeing that improvement from being, you know, three and 33, the first four years I was here to 500, the next four, and now we're above 500 the last two years. um, It's nice to see that not linear approach, but certainly incremental approach in the scoreboard to match what I think has taken place off the field as well. And for yourself, as you've found your your head coach voice and you've seen that success, who are you as a head coach, right? Are you more of a Bobby Knight? Are you more of a Pete Carroll? What's your... <laughs> yeah, I, uh, uh, depends if there's a chair around me. No, uh, <laughs> I, I, uh, I, I think that in modern day, if you're not a, a you know, the, the idea of old school versus players type coach, right? I don't think, I think that if you can't explain the why to players, you're not going to get the best out of them no matter what. Um, so I think I would like to think that I'm much more in this co-ownership approach, um, to how we do things. Um, our players are the ones that choose what we wear for travel gear. Our players are the ones that help set when we practice. Um, I give them some parameters, but they, they choose, they're not going to choose what play we run or how much we condition or, you know, those things, that's my expertise. But I think that as, as I've gotten, um, a better understanding of these are my non-negotiables. It's allowed the players to take more and more ownership of more of the program. And it's also um, went hand in hand with us winning more games. Speaking of the things that you control as the head coach, in the past several years, you have coached teams that like to throw the ball. (laughs) I think watching a football game, a Puget Sound football game, that's evident. But also if you take a look at the numbers, Last year, your team set four single-season records. Three of them were in passing records for passing touchdowns, for completions, and for pass yards per game. Um, and just for fun, I'll say, too, that fourth single-season record was in total points with 350 points on this season. Uh, 
so it worked. And of course, AJ Johnson set the single record season single season record for receiving yards that year as well. Um, and that type of, of statistic has been consistent over the past several years. As we talked about earlier from a defensive position where you're not going to get defensive stats if the ball's not in the air, you don't get passing and receiving stats if the ball's not in the air. Is that choice by you a reflection of the assets that you've had on the team and when you look around what you think will be most effective for the team? Or is it reversed where that's what you think is most effective in the game of football and that's what you like to do? That's a really good question. I, I think that our, um, my, my core belief is to play the best 11 players. And I know every coach says that, but if they run only one style of system, truthfully, they're saying the best 11 that fit what I do. I'm the exact opposite. I want to take our best 11 football players on offense. Obviously, five of them are going to be an old lineman. There's going to be a quarterback of some variety and build our offense around that. Um, and what's ended up happening since I've been here is that we've, we've developed into being a prolific passing attack. Where in the 10 years I've been here, seven of them, we've been in the top 10 in the country in passing. And what ends up happening is because we are in the top 10 in the country in passing, the next year's recruiting cycle, there's a lot of receivers that want to come here and not, not as many running backs on the outset want to go to a place that, that throws the ball 70% of the time. I think what will be very unique in the coming two years is we have an absolute, we still have great receivers. I don't misunderstand that, but we have developed some really good tight ends and running backs. And I think that you're going to see us be a, a much more balanced approach, not because I believe in balance has to be 50, 50, but when you can run the ball and get four or five yards of play, we should do that. And we have Duncan Varela and Silas Washington and, and some other good running backs that are coming up through the ranks. Um, that we're going to be able to run the ball very effectively. Trey Lewis from Mount Tahoma as well. Um, so it's going to be a fun, fun uh, year for us, or a year or two for us, um, as teams uh, expect us to be this um, row every down team, and now we'll be able to run a little bit more. Well, and for you as a coach, when you take a look at the guys on your roster and see that you're going to have weapons both in the air and in the ground game, I mean, does that just feel fun, right? Yeah, it does. I I, I I always joke with the team that our, our core belief on offense is that we want to get five yards of play. I think that, because I call our offensive plays, that second and five, if we can get five yards on first down, second and five is the greatest time to call a play in history because it doesn't matter what you do because you're third and five at worst. But when it's second and 10 or second and 12, that, I mean, you're just, you're just, you're behind the chains and you've got to get at least six yards to make it third and measurable and or third third and, you know, in, in, in the ability to convert. And so we always just try to get, how can we get five yards? That's not, don't worry about the big play. Let's just get five. And then after we get five, by the way, if you can make the first guy miss, that would be nice too. And then we'll go ahead and get the first down. Um, and having that approach, I think, removes the stress from players. And so historically, we've also been in the top, you know, top 15 to 20 in the country in first downs because it's something that we just emphasize. Let's just move it down the field, get a first down, and the points will come as they may. Walk me through what it means to be a player on your team, both in that system, but also just in terms of what the expectation is. What does it look like coronavirus notwithstanding, because we're reporting in September of 2020, um, but in season, out of season, what does that look like? So it's changed over the years as far as the, the schedule. Um, from a general standpoint, a student shouldn't look at a play at a student, at a football player in class and go, oh, that must be one of those football players except if they're saying one of those football players as in one of the most brilliant people they've ever met in their entire life, right? Like I want our players to be 
an exact embodiment of the student body as far as academically rigorous across a multitude of, of the majors involved in a bunch of clubs on campus. Those things are non-negotiable. They, those should happen. If we'll have more computer science majors one year and maybe uh, English majors the next, so be it. I don't, I don't get involved in trying to um, shepherd our students to a quote-unquote easier or harder major. I want our students to be able to do what they want in their college experience. From a, a weekly schedule standpoint, we've changed that over the years. Here's, here's what our current weekly schedule looks like, just to give a, a perspective of, yeah, of us. In season, we play Saturdays at 1, so we're going to win that game. It's going to be awesome. Done by 5 p.m. Sunday from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m., you'll meet with our head athletic trainer. You'll have a one-hour lift, and you'll have one hour of film with us. The order changes so that we can spread that throughout the facility, but the idea is very, very ingrained in us that we win because we are going to be strong in the weight room. We're going to use our sports medical staff better than anybody else, and that we're going to understand our, our assignments better than anybody. So it's one hour, one hour, one hour. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday are practices 4 to 6.15, a little bit lighter later in the year, a little bit heavier early in the year, but we're only going to hit full speed on Tuesdays. We, we, we firmly believe that we will win games on Saturday, whereas other programs will lose games during the week by overhitting. Um, we only condition one time a week as well. Thursday, we are going to give our players completely off going forward. The idea is that we want to give a, a, a day off during the week so that they can have an academic day to themselves or just a day to take a deep breath and have a have a quote-unquote me day. I think it's going to really help us out. Now, we're stealing this from the University of Iowa that have, has done it for decades. They've always been a perennial Big Ten overachieving team, and it just makes sense to me. Um, for so many student-athletes, finding when they can do office hours is always so hard to fit in where they're not looking at their watch trying to get to the practice or meeting that they, they have back in their head. Now they know. Thursdays, I have the entire day to, to do that. Now, it doesn't mean that they can't do it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, or Friday. We'll, we'll still work with them. But I think it just gives a, a, a place where they can just take a deep breath and just be a normal college student. Friday, we go 4 to 5.15. Um, and that's a high-energy super caffeinated um, coaching staff flying around, making sure that we get our energy level up so that we win again on Saturday. Um, off season, we lift in the morning. Um, we go 6 a.m. to 7.30. We do that because there's no classes. And we also expect our students to be involved in other things in the spring semester. So the easiest way to force that is number one, tell them they have to, and also move our stuff before anything else is up. And by the way, they don't stay up late if they know they have to see me at 5.30 in the morning. Yeah, I would not stay up late. <laughs> I knew I had to see you at 5.30 in the morning. <laughs> Given that you've set your program up, structured your program like that. I think some of your values and goals are real evident. But when you think about what your goal is for the athletes in your program, what's front of mind? I don't know if, I don't know if goal would be the right term for, for how I'm going to answer, but I never want a, a, an alum to look back, say they're 28, 38, you know, enough time out of college that they can remember it and not em embellish it too big. And look back and go, man, I wish it had been, you know, just taken a little bit more serious. And I also want the, in the same vein that that student to not go, man, they, we, I just missed the boat on being able to study abroad or play a second sport or do a different club. It's that, it's that fine line of expecting to win and having all the tools necessary to be successful athletically without taking away their academic ambitions. That feels very Puget Sound to me. 
why like that's why when the job opened and, and I got to get to campus and actually talk to you know a bunch of staff over the years and I don't want to say names and then forget the one and get the you know the phone call later but that's the thing that that has always stood out to me at Puget Sound is that there's this esprit de corps of understanding the mission of Puget Sound and you know the the ideas of Puget Sound are, are so ingrained by the interpersonal relationships you build. And I'm not talking necessarily student to student, although I think that percolates down because of the administration and staff. But I think that that understanding of people will wear different hats and find ways for others to get their job done doesn't exist everywhere. And it's something that's special that makes Puget Sound very unique. Well, and I think that's something too, that maybe the general public or even high school age athletes, people who come from athletic communities Maybe is that's not always clear because we talked about this earlier, but so many people perceive college athletics through the lens of D1. And one kind of vestige of the D1 model is this idea that your athletes, your football players, your basketball players, your real sort of high visibility athletic programs are distinct right? That there are maybe different resources for those students, or there are different opportunities for those students, or all they do are things related to sports, or they live in special housing. And that's very much, not only is that not the case at Puget Sound, but I think in a lot of ways, and especially hearing you talk about it right now, the football program really is a microcosm of the university and of those values and those opportunities. That's, that's not a separate, that's not a separate thing. Absolutely true. If I'm, and we fall short on at times in that, but that that is our our standard or expectation is that there should be no different uh, treatment of a football player, positively or negatively. And that takes place here is that our, our I think that our our football players get a very fair shake that they don't have to deal with the the football stereotype you hear about, you know, across the country. I I think that our, we our players get a very fair. Um, uh, assessment of who they are as a person based on who they are as a person, not because they happen on Saturdays to win games on the football field. And uh, that, that is something that we fight heavily for. The vast majority of our football players will come in and live with a football player um, as a freshman, because I think it's important to match that. If you're an incoming uh, freshman, you don't want to necessarily live with someone that's going to wake up for 6am weights four times a week during the spring. That's not entirely fair either direction. So I, for vast majority of our players, they live with another player in their sport. But what I always make sure of, and our student um, life office does a great job, is we spread our football players that are incoming freshmen throughout the campus. That way they, they get a very good broad section of this is the student body that is your friends. You're going to have 100 friends on the football team or 90 on the football team, but those aren't the only friends that you're going to have, nor should they be the only ones that you have. Coach, we've touched on this a little bit throughout our conversation, but this is a program that by pretty much any metric has been ascendant in records, in numbers. I mean, last year, your team named eight athletes to all Northwest conference Two your receivers, AJ Johnson and Jewel day were named to the all West region team by D three football.com. You can see that stuff's happening here. What's your goal for the program going forward? What do you see when you think next year, next five years? That's a good question. I, I think that, um, Last spring, our team GPA was a 3.25, um, which was the highest that we've had. And, and some of that certainly had to do with COVID and going virtual. And, you know, there's, there's, there's always mitigating factors, but those mitigating factors also work against us at times. So I'll take the 3.25. Um, what, what I would say is that when you look at our program, um, we should be at or above the student body's GPA. 
in, in, if you take any specific year, we should be at or above that, um, that we should be a positive impact in the social community. You see, that for one example, what Jalen uh, Antoine, our, our, one of our quarterbacks is doing, um, just started associated students of, uh, and student athletes of color on campus and is very involved in, in the activist side of things. And not that that's the only way that you can um, express your beliefs, whatever those are. I, we just need to make sure that we honor those and, and put people in a position to be successful. So doing great academically, doing great in whatever those other passions you have. And we should be conference championship caliber teams each and every year. And those three have to work in, in unison. If you talk to me on a different day, maybe I mentioned the athletics first or, you know, 1A with the academics, but those three, if they're not working in unison, then we're out of balance as a program. And that means that I'm not doing my job. So we need to be great in all three. I want us to win a national championship each and every year, but those other two can't take the back seat in order for us to be able to do it each and every year. Coach Thomas, we and all of our interviews with the same four questions. First question is, where is your favorite spot on campus? <laughs> so my favorite spot on campus, speaking of balance, I'm going to talk about the football field. Uh, uh, so the coaches booth in, at, at Peyton Field is, is, is locked. So don't you, you um, young students, don't you try breaking in. But the, uh, the roof of Peyton Field has a great view of, of uh, Peyton Field, as well as Lower Baker and the entire campus. And then in the background, you can see the water. And then if you turn the other direction, you can get, you know, you just have a great 360-degree view of everything from Mount Rainier to the Cascades and everything in between. So that is by far my favorite um, spot on campus. And what it's locked. And it's what? And it's locked. You, no one can get there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what are you reading right now? So uh, this fall, for the first time, um, I am teaching a class, uh, an academic class, or an academic preparation uh, uh, course for our uh, incoming freshmen football players. So it's gotten me back into some of the leadership books that I've um, used in, in the past and, and um, with the help of a bunch of professors have put together this uh, uh, or helped facilitate a curriculum put together by a bunch of different professors. Um, so right now I'm reading Mindset by Carol Dweck. Um, we're using it um, to talk through goal setting and having a growth mindset versus having a fixed mindset. In other words, failing forward uh, without, with, without going too deep into it. But um, it's, it's been nice to get back into that book. In your opinion, what's the best place to eat in Tacoma? Man, so uh, I, I'm a goofy goose person. It is right next to us. So it's, when I first moved up to, to Tacoma, I didn't like unpack my dishes and stuff for months. I, I shouldn't admit that, but like, I, I just was in the office so much, but Goofy Goose is like two blocks away and has everything from hamburgers to teriyaki. Like, I know you shouldn't do like all everything, but they have everything. They have milkshakes. I, I go there far too often. Um, if I'm trying to impress my wife, I go to Mandolin, which is on South 12th. So it's not too far away. Um, they have teppanyaki. So, you know, the, the flashy Japanese cooking of um, cooking in front of you. And it's, it, that's phenomenal, but that's a little bit more pricey. It's usually when I'm getting out of the doghouse. Last question to bring us home. What makes Puget Sound special? You know, I, I kind of mentioned it earlier in, in passing, but the truly the people are what makes it special. I, I know that as a prospective student, and this is tailored at, at some level to the prospective students, you have to look at rankings. And I think, quite frankly, rankings are what get 
students to campuses. At some point, you know, they, they, they visit because we are extremely highly ranked in XYZ program or most beautiful campus or whatever the ranking is by the, the different ranking organizations. And certainly I'm happy that we are ranked that high. But I think historically why our retention rate has been so strong is that the people, once they get to campus, make it all flow together. And so I am very blessed to work with great colleagues that I can interact with on a daily basis and, and call and go, hey, I know this isn't exactly your job, but you know, how do I get a yes to get this done? Um, and that is something that I do not take for granted and love where I work. Coach Jeff Thomas, thanks for joining me on the Puget Sound podcast. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to PS, the Puget Sound podcast. If you're interested in applying to or visiting Puget Sound, you can find out more at pugetsound.edu slash admission. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at UNIV, U-N-I-V, Puget Sound. I'm Elena Becker, and we'll see you next time for PS, the Puget Sound podcast.